Who am I? You sure you want to know? The story of my life is not for the faint of heart. If someone said it was a happy little tale... Uh, Satsu? Yeah? What are you doing? Nothing. Well, anyway, welcome to Spider-Man Month. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Chatsunami. My name's Satsunami and joining me for a very exclusive deal is none other than the one and only web slinger himself, Andrew. Andrew, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me, yeah. Looking forward to talking about the final trilogy in the Spider-Man franchises, the Tom Holland, John Watts films, yeah. Can you believe it's been three episodes? Now, this is our third episode on this month. Like, where is the time going? Yeah, it's it's been absolutely flying by. We've been enjoying taking a look through each of these movies for better and worse in some cases. And yeah, just I'm excited to wrap up this month's content. I'm just laughing at anybody looking at our watch list for films recently. It's just like, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Man, these guys really love Spider-Man. <laughs> All they watch is Spider-Man and Wednesday. What, no Batman? No Captain America? It's just like, no, Spider-Man, get out. But yeah, as you said, we're going to be talking about quite possibly one of the most interesting and quite honestly ongoing aspects of the Spider-Man franchise that of course being the Tom Holland era of Spider-Man within the MCU and I've got to say when we started talking about this franchise we started talking about how in 2002 we had Spider-Man as kind of a isolated hero you know he wasn't doing any crossovers with the Avengers or anything like that or the X-Men or the Fantastic Four haha We'll talk about that one day, maybe. But eventually, in around, I want to say about 2016, but it could have been announced earlier, because before we go on, though, do you want to talk a little bit about the background for this period of the MCU, or rather of Spider-Man? Yeah, for sure. So it'd been pretty recent that we'd had the Andrew Garfield films, so I don't think that there was that much of an expectation previously that we'd be seeing Spider-Man again. Coming off a bit of a period of disappointment with the Andrew Garfield films, whether that's warranted or not, that's up to you to decide, but we've been having a very successful run with the MCU and bringing characters in, and there was a clamor, a clamor to see Spider-Man be part of this, but no, 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 the uh, big cats at Sony won't let Marvel use all of its toys, so they had to make do with what they had, but Spider-Man being probably only behind maybe Batman in terms of popularity regarding superheroes, was always going to eventually play with these Marvel characters, and one of the most famous comic runs was Civil War, in which Spider-Man was a very important figure. And so it was very appropriate that in 2016, the Captain America movie, which followed off from the Age of Ultron, which also was very poorly received, Captain America Civil War came out and there was a lot of hype around it because people knew that a certain Spider-Man was going to make an appearance. And we didn't know if this was going to be a full integration of Spider-Man into the MCU or how it was going to be cameo, how it was going to work. But it ended up 
showing that Spider-Man worked so well among these other characters. And the, it was a very different Spider-Man than we'd seen before. We had the quips of the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, but felt a lot more fitted to the MCU and its style. And so following the success of that, we then got the Sony Marvel collaboration of Spider-Man Homecoming, which featured characters from the MCU in addition to our Spider-Man characters that we know and love and some new ones. It's funny you say that, that this was practically coming off the heels of The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which of course came out in 2014, and Captain America Civil War came out in 2016. So it was like a two-year gap between seeing two iterations compared to the, I want to say the five-year gap between Spider-Man 3 and The Amazing Spider-Man. But do you actually remember how negative people were when the first teaser came out? Because just to kind of set the scene, there's a moment in Captain America's Civil War where the two sides clash together in an airport and of course they released a teaser trailer where Spider-Man stole spoilers for 2016's Captain America Civil War here but he stole the Captain Shield and then he was holding it and his only words were hey everyone you know in quite a high pitched voice quite immature and do you remember how negative people were towards that initially? No I I actually can't remember that now. Well several years into the future now and I've seen forgotten the kind of reception at the time well when i say negative i mean negative in the scale of like a superhero film it wasn't like people were marching on the street saying not my spider-man bring back sam raimi he's a menace the one j jonah jameson cosplayer but it was interesting to see the mix between fans because people like uh, as you said it's like oh what is the mcu going to do with them how is it going to be incorporated into what was becoming a fully fledged crossover world is probably the best way to describe it and of course I think as soon as people saw Civil War they thought oh this is actually not bad and he wouldn't have his own film until 2017 when of course we've got Spider-Man Homecoming which we will get into the core trio but to kind of set the scene the films that he featured in outside of his own Spider-Man films Homecoming Far From Home and the critically acclaimed No Way Home of course he was also in Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, which spoilers if you haven't seen the film, feel free to skip a couple of seconds ahead, but he is one of the emotional cores of that film, like a side character in the grand scheme of things, but I'm not feeling so good, Satsunami Uh, too soon I'm sorry That's how I should have started this episode. What, just clicked and then the end of the episode? That's what we're going to do for our Avengers retrospective Nice. Just click gone the, the avengers one you'll at some point you'll just click your fingers and then you just won't hear me in the recording for the rest of the episode <laughs> i'll just be going yeah i think that's interesting andrew yeah very good yes 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 this is probably going behind the curtain a wee bit here but that's always how i feel whenever i'm recording on zencaster and of course zencaster splits up the audio track so it splits up my one versus your one so whenever i only import my audio track it sounds as if i'm just talking to myself <laughs> With just very long pauses. <laughs> so what do you think, Andrew? 
Mm, yes, yes, I agree. <laughs> that kind of thing. I'm like, oh god, that, that's exactly what it'll be like. But going back to Spider-Man in these films, yeah, he was only really a bit part. He does play a relatively key part in it. He's not just an extra. He's not like a cameo or anything he does. Maybe he's more of a cameo in Civil War because they wanted to properly introduce him in Homecoming. But with Infinity War and Endgame, there was a lot going on. And as you said, we had that very emotional, I'm not feeling so good, Mr. Stark as he gets snapped into oblivion. But it was quite interesting to see how people were warming up to him. Would you say that was the case? At least in the early days of this run, that people were slowly starting to come to terms with just the fact that we had a new Spider-Man and he was going to be a part of this franchise. I do think that people were enjoying him. I don't think people are quite sold yet until probably Homecoming. Homecoming certainly sold him for me. I think he did for me. I don't know what the general consensus was at the time. Unfortunately, I can't recall that. But I was pretty sold on his Peter Parker and his Spider-Man after Homecoming. And I think only after that, I think he did very well in the role. I think he was great in the Avengers movies, the Infinity War and Endgame, and then in Far From Home. I thought he performed well. And I think he set himself up as a very strong character in the MCU and one that people kept kind of wanting to come back. I think I'm personally quite excited for the next edition whenever that comes. And what's quite interesting about this particular run, and it's something we will get into probably later on in the episodes, but in the Sam Raimi films, we see Peter Parker start off as a high school student, and I use that very loosely considering he looks like he's in his (laughs) mid-30s. They all do. And then, of course, it transitions into Peter going into adulthood and everything, and it's kind of the same with the Mark Webb films like he goes from being a teenager into young adulthood but for these particular films they really keep him and obviously we'll get to it when we talk about No Way Home but they really keep him as a teenager which is quite interesting, they still keep him in school he's still quite immature, he's finding his feet as Peter Parker but it is quite interesting that they never really had that transitional period and it's something that we'll have to obviously consider when we're are going to be comparing this to the other two films because it's not bad. It's not a bad choice. It keeps it very consistent, but at the same time, you kind of think, like, obviously they have a timeline and everything they have to adhere to with the other films, but see before we go into it though, see before we talk about the good, the bad, and the amazing, haha, Spider-Man joke, I put out a tweet earlier today and I was asking people to give their opinions on Spider-Man in the MCU and I thought this is probably going to be a very cut and clear case here. People are going to say oh I love Spider-Man I love Tom Holland in the MCU it's it's going to be a closed case here but what I found was quite interesting so Andrew are you interested in hearing a couple of opinions on this one? No. Other than my own of course. Yeah, I'd love to hear what the fine folks on Twitter have to say. Yeah, because you get a choice of this one. You don't get a choice of my opinions. <laughs> the first comment that we got was from Readwatch DNF, who says, he's adorable, followed by a gift from The Amazing Life of Gumball, of him collapsing, saying it's too adorable. That is not something I can comment on, <laughs> I'm going to say, but fair enough. Sean Caster says, I love it. I love how this trilogy will set up the next, which, again, these are the kind of thoughts that I thought would be mainly prevalent. But then we get to the next one from a user called T-Rex, spelled T-E-A, Rex, which, by the way, I found absolutely amazing, just pointing that out there, who says, The movies are forgettable to me, but Tom Holland 
Holland is a great Peter Parker. I think I'd rather see him get a small series run playing adult Peter, working for J. Jonah Jameson and running around town taking pictures and taking care of crime. Give him a Luke Cage slash Daredevil type run. Before I go on, what do you think of that? I wouldn't be opposed to a TV series as opposed to a movie run. I think if they, if they did in the same kind of format that they've done a lot of the other MCU Disney Plus shows rather than T-Rex had brought up the kind of Netflix run, which I'm not as big a fan of in most cases. I don't think it was most of those were done particularly well. Maybe like a 50-50 split. I know a lot of people have criticisms of it, but I've quite enjoyed all of the uh, the Disney Plus Marvel TV series. And I think if they did something like that, then I wouldn't be against it. But I don't necessarily agree with the fact that they're forgettable. I think they are enjoyable movies and I'm, I'll, we'll get into it more across the episode, but I think they are very strong contenders. Their stories don't stand out as much as some of the other editions because they aren't quite as wacky. But I think in the grounded world that they live in they are not forgettable i think they are quite memorable oh you're gonna love these next few tweets then oh okay (laughs) good friend of the channel review it yourself has said standard popcorn fodder nothing special in my humble opinion no way home was elevated by the legacy cast but overall it was decent with some memorable moments but nowhere near spider-man or spider-man 2 which i have to say very spicy take review it yourself very spicy take but we will definitely deep dive into talking about No Way Home in particular because I feel as if out the three Spider-Man films that we've got to talk about that's definitely the one that will probably cause the most conversation. Yeah I think that's that's a fair comment. The first one and probably the third one I'll have the most to say about is I don't have too too much to say about the second. Yeah same to be honest. Shoot the Flick says he is the best of both worlds. He is really believable as both the nerd Peter Parker and the superhero Spider-Man. Adam Mock says time to be contrarian. I find him to be a whiny iteration who can't do much without Mr. Stock, actual pronunciation, magic suits. Also, MJ Ned are not that fun or funny. Somehow, this version even made Doctor Strange into a buffoon. That is definitely one I want to come back to in the main discussion because that is quite an interesting take and I'm not saying it's wrong or anything, it's really interesting that Adam says this because there were a lot of people who called Spider man in this era iron man jr and it's something that i think the fans adopted as well they called him stark jr because he depended more on tony stark and iron man as opposed to his own thing but we'll get onto that for sure talking smack podcast says best cinematic interpretation of spider-man but it's still a flawed interpretation marvel needs to figure out a way to let peter have adventures on his own without forcing team-ups on us they also need to stop ending each movie with the concept of and now he's truly Spider-Man. I really want to come back to that point because there's a lot I agree with there, but we will get onto that. Starter Quest Podcast says it has the second best depiction of Peter Parker and the second best depiction of Spider-Man. First for Peter Parker is Maguire and first for Spider-Man is Garfield, which seems to be quite universally agreed. This is as close as we get to the full package. It's not easy for a single actor who can play both the virgin and the chat. (laughs) (laughs) I 
love that. Uh-huh. That's good. That is really funny. Perpetual Cinema says, a strong show of both sides of the character who connected well with the larger ensemble. His third film, though, was a massive fail as it chose lazy nostalgia in place of the central theme of the trilogy. Again, that's another really interesting one that we will come back to when we discuss No Way Home in particular. And last but not least, we have Destro, who says, I like him in general, though they are the MCU movies I return to the least. I didn't like how every movie became an origin movie, such that he was always reset. My favourite Peter in comics is adult work broke Peter, yet we keep going back to high school. Why? And why indeed? Well, they just jump into it and get into the good, the bad, and the perplexing, as it were, of this run. Yeah, I think that's a good place to sort of jump in and uh, start talking about these movies. Without any further ado, you guys know the drill by now. We will be right back after these messages. Welcome to Shatsunami, a variety podcast that discusses topics from gaming and films to anime and general interests. Previously on Chatsunami, we've analysed what makes a good horror game, conducted a retrospective on Pierce Brosnan's runs James Bond, and listened to us take deep dives into both the Sonic and Halo franchises. Also, if you're an anime fan, then don't forget to check us out on our sub-series, Chatsunani, where we dive into the world of anime. So far, we've reviewed things like Death Note, Princess Mononoke, and the hit Beyblade series. If that sounds like your cup of tea, then you can check us out on Spotify, iTunes, and all good podcast apps. As always, stay safe, stay awesome, and most importantly, stay hydrated. Life moves pretty fast, and in this always-on-the-go world that we find ourselves in, it's becoming ever harder to pause and reflect on what we see. Yet if we don't, we miss the opportunity to experience the things that could truly change your lives. The Little Power of Inspiration aims to be that opportunity, to stop and savour not only the events around us, but the people, the experiences, the sights and sounds. Through these inspiring stories and poems of love, redemption and change, take a moment to really see all the inspirational treasures that are present. Inspiration is all around us. All we have to do is look. This episode is sponsored by Zencaster. If you're a podcaster that records remotely like me, then you'll know how challenging it can be to create the podcast you've always wanted. That's where Zencaster comes in. Before I met Zencaster, I was but a naive podcaster, recording on low quality, one track audio waves. But with Zencaster, you can kiss those fears goodbye as they provide crystal clear audio and HD video. Plus, with our all-in-one podcasting suite, recording with guests is extremely simple. From local recordings to post-production, Zencaster has it all. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my code CHATSUNAMI. You'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Before we go on and start to talk about the main characters and things and the run as a whole, did you actually see this film in cinemas? I did. I had not seen either of the amazing Spider-Man movies at the cinema because I didn't seem to really have any kind of interest in that series at the time when they came out. But following Civil War, where I was interested in this new Spider-Man, I was I wanted to give it a shot. I thought, yeah, I was doing my summer job where I was working down in, in England and I had some free time. So I thought, yeah, I want to go to the local cinema and check this out. 
out. And it was like the nicest cinema I've ever been to that like, gave me a brownie and like a cup of tea while I watched the movie. And there was like no one else there. It was like the weirdest experience, but it was very lovely. And you're like on a couch watching the film. So I highly recommend that experience to anyone who wants to watch these films. That sounds amazing to me. It was show. really good. <laughs> On my free day, I went and watched that, had a lovely dinner and uh, had a drink. So yeah, I, I have a very positive experience of watching this movie because I've had a lovely day. Yeah, I didn't have the same experience because I'm... Um, no, just because I didn't see it in the cinema. Nothing to do with the cinema going experience as a whole, which don't get me wrong, that's a whole episode in itself. But yeah, no brownies in Scotland for Odeon or Showcase or anything like that. But yeah, joking aside, I think this was around the time I had a bit of more Marvel fatigue. This is going to sound very controversial considering we are talking about Spider-Man, but although I do like superheroes, I wouldn't say I'm a massive superhero fan in the traditional sense. You know, it's like I wasn't running to the cinema for every iteration to be like, oh, I want to see what Thor's doing, or oh, I want to see what Captain America's doing, and I saw the occasional one every so often, but when it came to about 2016, I remember Civil War came out. I didn't see that in the cinema. I think I actually saw that a couple of years later when you got me the DVD for it. I did. Oh, right. I didn't even know that. Yes. I'm sure it was you that got me the DVD. If not, then somebody's just dropped it through my letterbox. Probably Marvel, like, go on. Make the episode. Just a note on it that says, watch me, XO. Yeah, we're in, we're in the pocket of Big Marvel. Pretty much, yeah. The mouse is standing behind me with a gun, so... <laughs> so that dark image aside... Aha, make the episode! <laughs> This is sponsored by Disney Plus. Uh, but seriously, if there's anyone from Disney or Marvel listening, please. <laughs> Don't sue us and please sponsor us. We have bills to pay, please. <laughs> I will praise any film that's coming out. I have so many other lawsuits to settle. The Red Panda Lawyer right now is just glaring in the corner. He's like, don't you start. <laughs> yeah, the Panda Lawyer doesn't doesn't like me. I'm, <laughs> I don't use him for my other law cases, and usually I'm suing him, so. Last time you met him, he just said, I quit, in big, like, bold cartoony letters. Yeah, he held up a sign. <laughs> like Wiley <Wiley e>. Coyote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I quit. Dropped out of existence. But anyway, sorry, back to Spider-Man, <laughs> rather than our legal troubles. When Civil War came out, I watched it, like, a couple of years later, and I'm not going to lie, it's, like, only been... I think a year or two since I actually watched Infinity War and Endgame on Disney Plus because as I said I think most of them are well done and everything but I just I wasn't you know enamoured by it I wasn't running to the cinema to see it obviously the last film that came out for Spider-Man was The Amazing Spider-Man 2 which I unfortunately did see in the cinema and I didn't see Homecoming in the cinema because I thought oh it's another superhero film coming out this year I really can't be bothered going to see it so I, I gave this one a miss I will say but when I rewatched it years later I'm not gonna lie this is actually one of my surprising favourites of the iteration I, I wouldn't say it's like the best out of the three of them but I was really blindsided by how much I enjoyed Homecoming as a film just the whole setup of it the fact that for anyone who doesn't know by now Homecoming is of course about Peter preparing for his is it prom is it Homecoming dance you know it's like, a Homecoming uh, dance yeah yeah like as the name suggests I'm not American so apologies <laughs> yeah it's basically about him struggling through school trying to get his own identity as Spider-Man and everything and he has to fight against the Vulture which is usually seen as a creepy old guy who dresses up as his first soda or his bird soda I suppose as <laughs> a massive Vulture but in this film it's more about a disgruntled maintenance worker isn't it that like cleans up the city and his government contract gets taken off of him? Well, I'd actually, I was pretty 
confused by that. And I made a note of that of like, what is Michael Keaton's character's job? Because he seems to have some sort of engineering type background of like the salvaging all this stuff. Was he just a cleanup crew or was he supposed to utilize these materials? What is the situation with what he was doing? I think he was just a cleanup crew. Like there was more to it, obviously, because as you said, he had his mechanics degree and everything, but or sorry, his mechanics degree I'm making the assumption there. Yeah, we actually don't we actually don't know if he knows any anything about engineering. <laughs> I mean, he shot like a laser, so we can assume he knows enough not to kill himself. Well, he did pick the wrong gun at one point. Oh yeah, and he shoots the guy. He like vaporizes the guy because he, he thought it was a gravity gun. Batman, no! Batman doesn't use guns. He's all tuckered out. Batman, you killed that man. <laughs> I think it was just he was a normal worker, though, that was, like, employed by... I've got my Scottish brain on because I was going to say the council. Obviously, they don't have the councils Aye, the, 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 the New York council. Do you know what would be hilarious? See if Spider-Man Homecoming was set in Scotland or the UK as a whole. You know he would be a council worker. <laughs> well, for one thing, there are no tall buildings in Scotland, so what would he swing on? You know that one scene where he's like running through the suburbs and really struggling because he can't swing on buildings anymore? That would mm-hmm. be the entire movie. Instead of Spider-Man, it would be more like Running Man. That's a different movie. <laughs> yes, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, he, he has just like a clean-up crew that loses his contract to... I can't remember if it's S.H.I.E.L.D. or... It's like someone affiliated with Stark Industries because they want to take the technology, but he manages to take some of it and run a black market weapons ring and it's quite interesting I've got to say like I was really and this was before obviously they had all the Disney Plus shows and everything talking about the real life aspects of the MCU because I have to admit when I was thinking back to our episode on living in the Zelda universe and even before that with Adam and I when we did living in the Pokemon universe I always thought oh living in the MCU that would be a cool episode and then I was like no every single film after phase three is just essentially what would it be like to live in the MCU so unfortunately yeah probably not a good idea there but yeah it is quite interesting to see Peter find his feet and everything in this one. They surprisingly don't go through the traditional route, though, with Spider-Man. Even just the intro itself is quite interesting. You have to correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think this is the first time, and they do it again in Far From Home, where the intro is the villain being introduced first. We we get like a little villain origin story off the bat before we even see Spider-Man. It happens again in Far From Home, where we get to see what we later learn to be the villain at the very beginning. So I don't think that happened in either Andrew Garfield versions or in any of the three Tobey Maguire movies. I think all of them started off with Spider-Man. Well, no technically, I can't believe I'm saying this, for the amazing Spider-Man 2, remember it started in the plane with the 2004 Wi-Fi. Right, yes. That wasn't the ultimate villain, that was kind of a side plot, wasn't it? Why was that even, like, why did that start the movie? That wasn't even the main plot of the movie. Well, see if you go on to I can't remember if it's Sony's official channel, where they've got the first 10 minutes of the film. The majority of that video is just Richard and Mary Parker just fighting this guy on an aeroplane. When are they going to get to Spider-Man? Yeah, it's like I didn't realise I put on the born identity here. It's like, you know when you have a bootleg DVD, it's like it starts off as one film and then it cuts to another one and you're like, huh, this is, this is not good. No, being a very reputable individual, I've never watched a Blu-ray. A Blu-ray. A Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> 
being a reputable individual, I have never watched any sort of pirated material, and uh, I think that I will be reporting you now. What, oh, the panda lawyer is is like giving me like loads of hand gestures right now. Okay, no. Oh, oh, that one's a bit rude. All right, all right, we'll continue. Yeah, he's giving you the Konami code of. <laughs> of signals right there <laughs> joking aside there yeah it's quite an interesting way they introduce these films and this is something i was laughing at with you when i was re-watching no way home where in that spider-man's the second character to be introduced on screen so the first one ironically enough is mysterio from far from home and then it's spider-man reacting and then the third character they actually introduce is none other than j jonah jameson you could argue that j jonah is somewhat the villain <laughs> that one yeah like i know we'll get on to it but he was very alex jonesy and yeah i think that's film. what they were going for they even had the supplements can i add yeah well it wasn't subtle i will say but <laughs> if we can pick it out and be like yeah very info wars there here's a question for you though do you think that's and again i don't want to start off in a negative here but do you think that is a problem with this run that the focus isn't always on spider-man in his own films. I don't think that's necessarily a problem. I think that's a different framing device that allows the kind of situation to occur and how does Spider-Man solve it. I think that's a very interesting direction that we've not really seen. This is kind of my point to a lot of the other criticisms of these movies is that what people often want is just the same thing they've seen before. Yeah. And this this isn't that. This is something new, something different. When I'm kind of addressing some more of the other points against this, I'm going to completely defend every aspect of these movies because there are things that I like and don't like but I think that it is a different perspective on the Spider-Man franchise so that kind of needs to be addressed in that way I think that yes we are getting a examination of other aspects of the movie we're seeing the villains we're seeing the world around and how it's being impacted and Spider-Man's kind of having to react to that and you can make the argument yeah that Spider-Man is sometimes not always central in his own movies but I think that he's still quite clearly the main character and that it just allows him to sort of bounce off of other characters and other subplots quite well I think it balances is that in a very interesting way what do you think about that though as i said in the intro it is interesting that they kept him as a teenager as of recording this we're recording this in january 2023 so we don't really know where they're going to take the character spoilers for no way home and obviously this whole thing will be spoilers but going forward from the end of no way home it's clear that they are establishing spider-man as your friendly neighborhood spider-man going from high school to become an adult and everything but throughout the three films we never really get to see his adult side we just see him as an awkward teenager and I've got to say I think that is maybe one of the things that alienates people from these films like again I totally agree with you I don't think that these films are bad I think if anything these are probably the most consistent out the three of them with the Raimi films people can go oh Spider-Man 1 and 2 they were fantastic but you get to Spider-Man 3 and there's a very hearty throughout the entire room you think oh let's not talk about Spider-Man 3 with The Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2 you think the first one oh great film but then you get to the other one and you're like oh we're not going to talk about that but with these three films no matter what problems that people have with them they are definitely consistent the way they're made the way that the characters interact with one another there was never a moment where I sat there and thought oh that's out of character for Peter to do that or for MJ and Ned or you know even Aunt May 
me, which again, we'll get onto those characters, but I never felt as if they kind of went out of their way or they went like kind of left field to be like, oh, this is a completely different iteration per film. They were always consistent, but the main problem I have personally, and it's not something I really thought of when I initially watched these films, but kind of looking on No Way Home, I think one of the main problems is that Peter Parker is, of course, he's a teenager who's going through school and he's part of like a completely different generation. If you're growing up with this film as a child or, you know, as a young adult or a teenager, then you'll probably relate to Peter a bit more because obviously they have things like TikTok and they're all on the mobile phones texting and everything. Whereas when we were growing up, don't get me wrong, we didn't exactly relate to Raimi's 30-year-old school children walking about. But, you know, he's part of, is it Generation Z? Tom Holland is part of Gen Z, yeah. Gen Z, yeah, like whatever generation they are, as these films came out, the current generation of like young people. Insert current generation. Me with my 30 year old bones going back in my day. <laughs> We had practical effects. Yeah, it seems as if he's more relatable to a younger audience. And again, there's obviously nothing wrong with that. Adaptations are going to change over time. And it seems as if when Peter becomes an adult, as it were, when he comes out of school in both the Amazing Spider-Man films and the Sam Raimi films, they're a bit more relatable to people from any generation. Because, you know, you can relate to not having enough to pay your bills, maybe, or struggling going through dark times in your life, you know, that kind of thing. Whereas in this one, it's very fantastical. And again, I'm not saying like all Spider-Man films should be doom and gloom. That's exactly what the Amazing Spider-Man 2 proved, that if you get too dark and gloomy, people are going to be turned off entirely. But then they kind of went the opposite direction with these films, and they made it very bright and colourful, obviously until the end of No Way Home and bits of Far From Home. But the majority of it is very Marvel-y and I know that sounds like a cop-out to be like oh it's Marvel but would you say that that it does feel as if Marvel has kind of sunk in their claws into like the script the pacing just everything about this film and it definitely feels more like an MCU film rather than what we've seen of the character before. It is certainly much more polished than we've seen before. It has Marvel sheen to it. I don't necessarily think that was a bad thing because I think that is one of the aspects of the previous two, I want to say trilogies, but Garfield didn't get a trilogy. The previous two incarnations of Spider-Man, they weren't always very well paced. They weren't always super well written. I think that they kind of needed a bit more direction than they had. And so I know that Sony brought in Kevin Feige, who was the overlord of all Marvel Cinematic Universe properties, to come in and kind of oversee what was going on. And I think he did for Spider-Man what needed doing and what has needed doing for a long, long time of kind of creating a consistency with these movies and with directing them in a way. He wasn't the director. John Watts, I think, was the director of the I think all three of them. But Kevin Feige certainly pushed it in the direction that it needed to go for us to have another Spider-Man film, which didn't just seem like another rehashing of what we've seen before, but at the same time, maintaining consistent to both Spider-Man as a character and also fitting within this Marvel Cinematic Universe. Going back to what was being said about being stuck in the teenager role, what I would say about that is that, again, we have seen Spider-Man be a quote-unquote teenager when he was played by 
by someone who wasn't really very much believable as a teenager and then move on into the poor post-school living in New York kind of life and struggling to balance work life and being a Spider-Man. We've seen that. So what we're getting now is more a look at life for Spider-Man while in school, because we never really got to see school in either Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man or Tom McGuire's. We got to see brief moments of, oh, he was bullied. Oh, he had conflict with this person. Oh, he was kind of dating this person or had a crush on this person. But we didn't get to see kind of his school experience. And I think that's quite an interesting perspective as someone who has superpowers and is still in school, that we get that. And I think that they does that in a very interesting way. And I, and I also think that what people are often quite guilty of, and I myself am very guilty of this, is nostalgia glasses and believing that what you saw as a child and grew up with is better than what current generation is watching and growing up with because you had a different kind of mindset back then to enjoy. If this came out when you were younger, you would like this more. If you're experiencing something as an adult watching this, you were an adult watching teenagers in a movie. You aren't going to relate to them. When you were a kid or a kid's now watching, they do relate to this. And you watching back on, say, the Raimi trilogy, you can say you're an adult now watching it and going, okay, I can relate to that. And I remembered as a child watching it and enjoying it. So I have that enjoyment of it. So I think there is a certain level of nostalgia and bias and rose-tinted glasses with those watching these movies because whilst I really enjoyed both the Raimi trilogy and much of the Mark Webb films, I do think that they both suffer from poor direction at times and poor writing especially at times. So I think that this trilogy is as a whole, stronger than both of those series. I totally see what you mean. I brought this up in our Raimi retrospective where we discussed the landscape of superhero films as a whole. We talked about how superhero films really weren't as popular back then and the only real ones that stood out were things like Blade, X-Men and of course Spider-Man which came along. And because that came at a time in my life where that was not really something that was, not that it wasn't seen but it wasn't as popular at the time so when that came along it was fresh it was different you know it hooked a whole generation into Spider-Man but at the same time it's gotten the treatment very much like the prequel trilogy of Star Wars where it's been memed to hell and back and because of those memes and the shit posting and things like that I think that's why so many people are looking at it very favourably in hindsight same with the amazing Spider-Man that's like people meme on the poor Peter Parker and <laughs> the Goblin Ita scene and everything you know they all come together to ironically like it and everything but you are completely right I, I do agree that if we were growing up nowadays as I try not to cry <laughs> yeah the fact that if we were growing up with these films you're completely right we would love these films these would be the kind of films that would be like oh it's the best interpretation and then you would watch the Sam Raimi trilogy and the Mark Webb ones and you'd be like oh they're weird they're a bit awkward they're not as fun and no uh, completely right nostalgia plays a huge part and that is exactly what happens in No Way Home which I love 
some of it because you know me i'm a sucker for nostalgia but i loved some of it but i feel as if there was a lot of it where i kind of looked at it and i thought this nostalgia isn't working for me i really did not like some of the nostalgia we'll get on to it but especially in terms of the villains we are obviously not to the same extent as amazing spider-man 2 or spider-man 3 but there were like too many villains going on in that film where it was like there was a lot of them that didn't really feel necessary it felt as if oh we need a quota of spider-man villains from each film you know we need the green goblin from the first one doc Ock from the second one sandman for the third one thank god they didn't bring back topher grace see in all honesty i think i would have preferred him because i don't see why the sand like the sandman's actor is brilliant don't get me wrong but i don't see why he was there because all the characters they meet an unfortunate end but the only two that really don't belong there are the lizard who is still alive by the end of the amazing spider-man and sandman who you know makes his peace with toby Maguire. but they're there in the film peter parker goes on about saying oh we have to reform them we have to help them and i'm like sandman and the lizard are pretty reformed one's in prison and the other one flew away in the wind i feel as if they got relatively good endings compared to the other ones but again we will get into that i guess you could argue that the sandman at the end of spider-man 3 kind of disappears and doesn't really get to like live his life anymore so by curing him of the sand thing then he can now reintegrate himself well not really because he was on the run from the police yeah so as soon as he turns up and hugs his daughter he's getting bundled into the back of that car and to quote a very famous parody video you don't understand i have a daughter she's sick as they just bundle him in and be like yeah no you're going away for a long time or that deleted scene we laughed about when he turns himself into a sandcastle to approach his daughter yeah that was fun but saying that no will we talk about the characters because i feel as if we've been putting it off for a long time like i feel as if the listeners are on the edge of their seat going like get to tom holland i feel as if we have to talk about these films overall because it is important to establish what we're getting into with these let's start with the heroes let's split it up into two let's talk about the heroes and villains here so of course the heroes we have Tom Holland as Spider-Man which again there has been a mix because on the one hand you've got people who say he's very charismatic he's very you know he's very quippy he does the role of Peter Parker and Spider-Man quite well I would say for the most part I I would say that's probably true Uh, I would say he's very energetic in the role but then there's the other side that says that he he is Iron Man Jr. as we talked about. This is kind of a bigger problem I have with the kind of overall MCU iteration. Like again, it's not like a deal breaker that I'm going to slam my fist into the table and say I'm never watching another Spider-Man film. But before I go on to that, what are your thoughts on Tom Holland? I think he stepped into a difficult situation. I don't think it was as difficult a situation as Andrew Garfield had to step into because I think people who weren't very happy with the Andrew Garfield film for whatever reason now had a new Spider-Man to look at and this one was seen to be more favorable I think one of the criticisms people had of the Andrew Garfield films was that he wasn't believable as like the nerdy kid in school whereas this Peter whilst being Tom Holland is very handsome I would say boy he's a man very handsome man he is able to play that kind of awkward clumsy teenager 
quite well. And so I think he does very well in this role. The comment about him being the second best at both things, where second best as Spider-Man behind Andrew Garfield and second best as Peter Parker behind Joe McGuire. I can understand that perspective. And I actually held the same perspective previously, but I think he is a better Peter Parker than Tom Maguire was. Especially having rewatched the three Sam Raimi, Tom Maguire Spider-Man films and seeing Toby's acting as Peter Parker, I think that I enjoyed Tom Holland's Peter Parker more. I felt it much less cringy. You can play awkward without being cringy. If you're playing awkward, then it should come off as kind of funny and it doesn't always feel that way with Tom Maguire's version. So I think that Tom Holland does that better. I think that there is a fair argument to say that Andrew Garfield is the best Spider-Man Spider-Man and I I think that's fair and I would probably agree with that. I don't think that Tom Holland is too far behind it though. I think he does very well in the role as Spider-Man. I think he has lots of fun quips and I like seeing him kind of go about his, especially in the first one where you see his sort of friendly neighborhood Spider-Man role where he like helps an old lady, gives her directions is stopping carjackings happening. He just seems like a very kind of sweet sweet boy which you kind of want to see rather than being hot-headed. So that is such a lovely kind of perspective to see and then as these films progress we get to see him try and live up to this kind of mantle that Tony Stark had set and the kind of expectation that he would fulfill that role which is the main factor of the second film which takes place just after the death of Tony Stark in Avengers Endgame. Spoilers! Yeah, well, we've already given that spoiler warning, so they'll have to have to deal with it. And then the third one having to sort of deal with this identity... I was going to say identity crisis, it's not really. It's more of a crisis of everyone knowing your identity and having to deal with the repercussions of that and then who Spider-Man is and what he must be as a result of trauma that he encounters. Just kind of wrapping up before I get your perspective of that, I think that Tom Holland performs the role better overall than either Maguire or Garfield. And just quickly touching upon the Stark Jr. comments, I do understand that perspective. I think that there can be a lot said of him relying on technology, relying on Stark's toys to the actions be a superhero. I don't think that's necessarily always the case. I and mean, you have that kind of moment in the first one where he has the suit taken away from him and he has that kind of moment of, like, oh, I'm nothing without the suit. And Tony kind of responds that if you're nothing with the suit, then you're nothing at all and you need to kind of learn to be something. And he kind of has that moment where he, he he does that. So I think we kind of have that point addressed in the first one. I don't fully agree with that sentiment. But yeah, what are your thoughts on what, I, what I've said in particular the last point? I feel as if, and this is something I kind of alluded to at the beginning of the episode, but first of all, yeah, I do agree that he does portray the role really well. Like he's a good actor and everything. And he does portray a more believable, naive Peter Parker rather than socially awkward outcast. Because I have to admit, there was a dis- Distinct, and again, I'm not advocating for the bullying of children here, but there was a distinct lack of bullying in these films. Like, even when you see Flash Thompson, I always remember the Raimi films where Flash Thompson practically nearly beats him to a pulp, and the Amazing Spider-Man films, he tries to beat him up again, but in this one, he's just like a whiny TikTok influencer, which I do think is kind of funny. Yeah, I think that's actually quite an interesting take, that we've seen big bully Flash in two films prior, and so we're kind of getting what is very much a modern bully of being very emotionally abused. I have to admit, they do update the majority of the characters really well for this. But sorry, before I go into that, about the whole it being tied into the MCU, I feel as if 
it's like a blessing and a curse in a way. Don't get me wrong, overall, I do think it's really cool to see all these superheroes come together and, you know, feel as if it is believable they all live in the same universe. I have to admit, there's like a particular scene, and this is slightly off topic, but in the Marvel Spider-Man video game for the PlayStation 4, there's a building that, you know, it's the Avengers Tower that stands really high in the cityscape. And you think, oh, that's a cool nod. But then after everything that goes on in that game to New York, you then start to kind of think, well, why weren't the Avengers brought in to deal with it? And at least in these films, it feels quite realistic is very relative here. But realistic in the universe that, you know, you have Tony Stark dealing with certain things. You have the FBI at one point popping up, which I have to admit, they pop up a lot more than I expected in these films. You know me, I love it when someone takes a character and they do put their own spin on it and they try something different. So I feel as if overall they did a great job of updating the character for modern audiences as well as for this particular time. Because as we spoke about, the Raimi trilogy and the Mark Webb films were made at a completely different time of superhero films. So the fact that this was made when it was, and I I do think that was great. But going back to the whole tying the universe together, I don't feel as if this Spider-Man does get his chance to breathe on his own. And the reason I say that is because, and there's something that the Talking Smack podcast brought up, where they said that Marvel needs to figure out a way to let Peter to have his adventures on his own without forcing team-ups on us. I do agree with that. I feel as if it makes sense in Homecoming, because Tony Stark is a mentor figure and everything, but then by the time we get to Far From Home, we've got S.H.I.E.L.D. involved and Mysterio. Like, Mysterio, okay, I can give him a pass because he's the villain, but, you know, we have to have Nick Fury and we have to have S.H.I.E.L.D., which I have to admit, I did obviously for this review, but before that, I hadn't really watched Far From Home. I watched Homecoming, then completely skipped Far From Home, and then watched No Way Home. So there was like a lot in between that I was confused about. I was like, why do they know Peter's name? Why, why is this going on? So going back and watching it, I was like, oh, okay, that's why and everything. And it has got one of the funniest lines in the MCU when, of course, he's saying to Samuel Jackson, oh, I'm not good enough. And he says, bitch, please, you'll be in the space. And I thought, that's very funny. But this is more in the MCU and Marvel as a whole, I think, as opposed to Spider-Man, that they feel as if they have to have crossovers and things to make it a believable world. You know, they can't just have Spider-Man off on his own adventures. So I watched this with my partner as well, and she made the point which many people do, and it's kind of that point that everyone makes with these kinds of superhero films within the MCU, is where was this character? What like Why didn't they come and help? Like This seemed like a pretty big deal, like surely this person would have come. And I think the MCU have cornered themselves a little bit in that, the, yes, if there was a big threat, you wouldn't just have this one superhero dealing with it. Someone else would be like, I'm a superhero, I need to also help with this, I need to do my part so the world doesn't end, or the city doesn't get destroyed, or whatever. And so, to kind of counteract that a little bit, try and act upon that, what a lot of these MCU movies, particularly the Spider-Man movies, are doing is they're bringing in the kind of wider MCU to act as that, like, oh, this is being addressed. And I think the best of that is Far From Home, where I think it is largely a Spider-Man dealing with a Spider-Man threat, because it's Spider-Man dealing with Mysterio, which is a Spider-Man villain. 
I think it makes sense that the government organization for dealing with supernatural superhero type threats is monitoring the situation and especially kind of in the wake of the death of Iron Man who previously would have kind of been dealing with this so I do understand it it kind of seems like I'm bringing up a defense for every negative point I do think the Marvel tied up the loose ends pretty well in that regard that's one of the things I don't necessarily think that these films are always the strongest in terms of being i mean i'm not gonna like i know the point was made earlier about them not being memorable i do think they're memorable movies i don't think they stand out as much but i think what they have going for them and is often kind of a label put on marvel this kind of cookie cutter format is that they're polished that there's nothing really wrong with them i don't really have too much criticism of it which can be its own criticism ironically in a way i understand that kind of perspective of like oh he always has to lean against something else but i think it makes sense and when you separate yourself from the sony world which doesn't have any of the these kind of characters you're going to run into this we've seen two iterations of spider-man without these characters we're now getting one that includes them and i don't think that's a bad thing personally i think it's interesting and i'm a sucker i am perfectly aware of I don't think I'm necessarily a Marvel fanboy, but I am a sucker for team-ups and crossovers and that kind of thing. I got very excited when we saw Matt Murdock appear, who's Daredevil, appear in uh, No Way Home briefly. I was in the cinema and there was an entire kind of collective gasp. And you don't really get those kind of things in the other other movies. It's a very exciting kind of type of audience engagement that you don't really get otherwise. I can find a defense for why Spider-Man is always seemingly being thrust in with these other characters and kind of necessity behind it. I have to say, before we move on and talk about the other characters, I would like to see either a movie or a TV show or something where he did something on his own, you know, because that's what they kind of allude to in No Way Home, that he gets his own apartment and everything, he's got a fresh star, he makes his own suit and everything, and, you know, I would like to see more of that because as much as, and again, I do agree that it is quite special and it is something that Marvel have relatively perfected, as it were, that they have all these characters that do seem organic to each other's stories, like Doctor Strange popping up in other people's stories and things like that. That is one of the things, though, I will say that annoyed me at the very end of No Way Home. And you know how usually Marvel have like a post-credit scene where it'll be like a silly thing or something like that. I always remember sitting to the end of No Way Home's post credit scene and it was literally just a trailer for i think it was a multiverse of madness yeah it was the doctor strange movie yeah yeah that was a little bit disappointing they did include the venom oh yeah there was that that was good it's very interesting that they're introducing the idea of the symbiote as uh being introduced in that manner that it kind of a little segment of it was left behind which doesn't fully make sense because everything should surely have been zapped away see that's what i thought but you know it's marble and <laughs> <laughs> it's like, turn your brain off, kid, just Marvel. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It just seemed a wee bit disappointing because it almost took away from it being a Spider-Man. Obviously, it's not like the worst thing they could have done, but it did feel as if, oh, you're just finished watching a Spider-Man film. Now forget all about that and now watch our next film on Doctor Strange. And I was like, oh, I don't know how much I like that. I, I didn't agree with that. So that's what I would like to see from this iteration. I would like to see kind of more adventures of him on his own and less of, as some of the comments were saying, less 
dependent on other characters. Like, obviously, they're still going to do it. And I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with this iteration, but I would just like to see a bit more independence, maybe, whether that be through a TV show, through a movie. But speaking of independence, Spider-Man in this iteration, and Peter Parker as a whole, he's very dependent on his, what I called last week, his inner circle of characters. And, of course, the main three that I can think of off the top of my head are, of course, Aunt May, who after that has gotten younger so it's still like a Benjamin Button effect of, of Aunt May's at this point. The horrification of Aunt May. Don't get me wrong, the actress who plays her does a fantastic job and everything. I don't know how to feel about that iteration, I've got to say. It's someone who grew up with the Raimi films. <laughs> I, I don't want to see no offence to Rosemary Harris but I don't want to see her having it's like in the uh, No Way Home where it's like you see her and um, another character called Happy have a fling and everything and obviously you know it shows she's more independent she's got her own life and everything but at the same time I'm thinking back to that era and you know the Sally Field era and I'm just like on the one hand it's completely different but on the other hand I suppose it's going back to what you were saying that it's more realistic maybe as an aunt in terms of between the age range and having their own life outside of Oaken after Peter. It's I, I find it hard because I think Marissa Tomei does a very good job in fulfilling this character. It's certainly very different to what we've seen before. I think more so than either Sally Field or Rosemary Harris's portrayal. I'd, I'd say that Sally Field was just kind of a slightly younger, more emotive and a better actress playing a very similar type of Aunt May, whereas Marissa Tomei, she sunk her teeth in and is playing a very different depiction of Aunt May. As you say, very much more of an independent one. We do not get any inkling. I'm not even entirely sure if Ben is Uncle Ben is mentioned at any point in these trilogies. I don't know if it's acknowledged at all. Do, do you remember? I can't remember if he's referenced in like an Easter egg where I'm sure he must be. Like surely he must be in a like a dialogue. Because I think he's got his initials on I think it's like a briefcase or a backpack or something. He's got Uncle Ben's initials on it. But again, I can't actually remember. Because he has it, you're completely right. Because obviously by this point we've seen it twice that Uncle Ben's been shot and they never address it in the MCU. Yeah, the Uncle Ben character in the MCU is played by several characters, but for the most part, it's Tony Stark and Marissa Tomei's Aunt May kind of fulfill that role, with the latter ultimately delivering the great power, great responsibility line that is normally tied to Uncle Ben. So it kind of cements that she is that figure, that role in Peter's life. My sister-in-law is a big fan of Spider-Man and I think she had previously told me that Spider-Man Homecoming takes place, I think, only a few months or like six months or something after the death of Uncle Ben. So it is quite recent or like, yeah, I don't I can't remember the exact timeline, but it is, it is quite recent after the death of Uncle Ben that that happens. Going over to, say, No Way Home, there's a moment where the three Spider-Men are all bonding over, like, shared trauma and shared grief. And it's very odd that none of them share over the same trauma that they each have. One chooses May, one chooses Ben, and one chooses Gwen Stacy. You'd kind of expect all three to relate to the Ben thing, because Andrew Garfield Spider-Man does blame himself for Ben's death as well. So I was surprised that they didn't speak to that. They wanted to have that Gwen Stacy regret kind of moment that you don't really get because of there not being a third Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. They need to conclude that kind of acceptance of the grief. To be fair, they do have the with great power comes 
Ian's great responsibility bonding moment, but I am laughing because Aunt May says it before she dies in that film, and then Toby Maguire's Peter Parker immediately is like, oh, my Uncle Ben told me that. And Andrew Garfield, God bless him, he does say, that's what my Uncle Ben said as well. And I'm sitting there in the cinema going, did he though? <laughs> did he? Did he? Are you sure he didn't say, you have a moral obligation? <laughs> No, that's a bit, oh, got the gist of it. That's the cliff notes. That's the TLDR version. <laughs> the great power comes great responsibility. It's like, oh man, that would have been so much better. Speaking of those kind of characters, we've also got the friendship group of MJ and Ned. Can I say a potentially controversial opinion? Do you hate Zendaya? Only for the first film. <laughs> I did not like her character in the first film at all. And I don't know if this is, again, like, I'm not a teenager, obviously. I've made so many self-deprecating jokes about being weary and old and yelling at kids to get off my lawn. But at the same time, I don't know. I don't know what they were going for. I don't even know where you begin. I was going to say emo, but not even emo. You know, she's like, oh, look at me. I'm a contrarian and I don't go with the mainstream. And I'm like, okay. It's the kind of person that would like come up to you in either school or university, give you an opinion about something you never asked for, walk away and you're like, what the hell just happened? Ned, I like. I will say that. I know it's not Harry Osborne, but I do really enjoy Ned's performance in these films. I do think he's a believer believable friend and I mean he's just very endearing but it took me a full film and a half to actually warm up to Zendaya because I feel as if in No Way Home she's really good but in Far From Home she's kind of half and half as soon as you know she starts warming up to Peter and everything it's like oh okay it seems a little bit better but what did you think of the friendship group? I am in agreement with you actually there I think that Jacob Batalon, Batalon, who plays Ned, did a very good job. I think this is a, it's a very kind of interesting friend character that we've not had before. The relationship that Peter had with Harry Osborn in both iterations of Spider-Man previously was always very awkward. And in the case of The Amazing Spider-Man, very forced in, in how it was done. Whereas Jacob's Ned seems very believable as a friend. The whole like doing a Lego Death Star, like that's the kind of thing that you and I would have done when we were younger. Yeah, no, you're completely right. And his kind of like interest in the superhero kind of world and like wanting to be part of it but knowing like he's just like a normal dude they stayed away from giving him any kind of power or super assistance one of the kind of criticisms of say something like shang chi i don't know if you ever watched that movie but oh yeah spoilers for shang chi his friend character played by aquafina who is an enjoyable character throughout the, the movie kind of acts as like a something to bounce the situations off of the audience insert character at the very end pulls off a ridiculous arrow shot when she's not already had much experience in archery before and that felt very unbelievable whereas ned feels like a very believable kind of side character that he's not really all that much more than you'd expect of a normal dude to be doing up until the magic at the end but even that i don't feel is ridiculous with regards to zendaya i'm of the same opinion i didn't like her in the first one and i i didn't think much of her when i first watched the movie and then watching it again this week i didn't take to her i didn't i didn't enjoy her character i didn't find her particularly offensive i thought it was it was interesting 
interesting, but I didn't enjoy her very much. And so I was a bit underwhelmed when I kind of realized like, oh, she's the MJ character. I did think that the kind of the romance between them seemed a little bit more forced into the next couple of films, or rather into the next film. I it felt much, much more believable by the third one. But I did warm to her character in the second one. By the end of the second one, I liked her. I was still yeah. a, bit, a bit unsold on her throughout it. But by the end, I did, I did like her. And then in the third one, I found her very enjoyable. And I thought her quips were very clever. I thought they were well written and very appropriate for her character. So I, I thought that that worked quite well. Obviously, because she is the main love interest and she comes away with weird and wacky quips. Like, for example, you know when she says she wants a black dahlia or she likes black dahlias, the flowers, because of... The murder. The murder, yeah. Which she would definitely listen to true crime podcasts in that universe. There's no way she would. You know, she talks about that, but I'm just thinking if the roles were reversed and it was just like a guy being like, oh yeah, I like them because of a murder, you know, people would be like, huh. <laughs> Hello, Avengers headquarters. She does get better. That's all I'll say. She definitely becomes a better character the more she's fleshed out. And I do feel as if that's relatively the same for most characters. But speaking of that, if we flip the coin, as it were, and go on to, of course, the villain side of this piece, I have to say this particular iteration probably has the strongest, if not some of the strongest villains, at least for the first two films. The third film relies and nostalgia and everything so we can't really say oh it's the best on its own because it relies on the previous films which I will get onto but the first two films I love the fact that Michael Keaton and Jake Gyllenhaal are basically just regular people in this universe obviously they become very over the top and fantastical later on but it's the fact that Jake Gyllenhaal's character is like a visual effects artist essentially I do not enjoy that one as much I don't enjoy that film as much as the other two, I would say. But I do think that is a very interesting, especially an interpretation of the Mysterio character, which was such a weird kind of comic book character. To realize it in this way is very interesting. No, I completely agree. I do feel as if this film was, it was okay overall. Not great, not terrible, just okay. But I feel as if the Mysterio aspect of it is absolutely fantastic. And these henchmen aren't even... You know how you usually get the MCU hired goons and they're all bulky and they can't think for themselves and things? These are like proper visual effects artists and things like that who work for it. He's like got a whole special effects team working for him. I, ju- I just love that. This movie was written during like some sort of special effects strike where they were like, those damn special effects teams. And you know what? I'm going to make the costume person a villain too. Because <laughs> fuck her. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this was a very Marvel-centric written film. <laughs> we'll tell you what we want, damn it. Yeah, even for the first one, even for Homecoming, I really enjoy Homecoming purely for the fact that, again, it's just about a regular guy who's trying to do his job and then his job essentially gets taken from him by these special agents because of the obvious subject matter of alien technology and he practically loses his job and that's what flips him over the edge. I love things like that because it's so relatable. By the third film, though, the only two two that I will say, and again this is my nostalgia glasses, so apologies if you get blinded by a kind of rose-tinted glare over there, but I think the Green Goblin and by extension Doc Ock, I feel as if those two are by far the best villains 
and that, but the rest of them seem very supplemental. And we know why they're in No Way Home. They're in No Way Home because they have to have a quota of supervillains per film. You have to have, as I said, you have Green Goblin from the first one. You have Doc Ock from number two, Sandman from three, the lizard and Jamie Foxx. <laughs> playing Electro. himself in this one. No, he's not Electro, and I'll tell you why. Do you not think that, though, that Electro seems like a completely different character in this one? He is very much a different character. I don't think that's a bad thing. Oh, no, not at all, yeah. He was really weird and not enjoyable to watch in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. So I don't think that's a bad thing. What I did quite like, because I know they, they kind of lost his electric blue look. I think part of that was Jamie Foxx did not want to get back into that makeup chair or whatever they had to do for it but they had a moment very near the end where his face flashes electricity and it has like the star on his face which is very much kind of a reference to the old comic book version of Electro quite enjoyed that they did it a couple of times uh, through the final fight yeah they couldn't exactly get Dean DeHaan back to play the Green Goblin because they already have a Green Goblin that's the thing though it kind of highlights how weak the villains were in the other iterations but it's kind of weird this is something that might again Again, it might cause controversy. Hashtag what's new in Chatsunami. But it seems as if the villains from the Raimi era that come into this film, they absolutely shine. They're fantastic. They are brilliant. But Tobey Maguire doesn't seem as if he's all into it. Whereas it's the complete opposite with Andrew Garfield. It seems as if he's really strong. He's like absolutely fantastic. And I would go as far to say that he has an almost redemption arc. Because after that, I was in the same boat like I was watching him and I thought you know what maybe I was too harsh on those films I liked him more in this movie than I liked him in either of his two own movies no I'm not even going to sugarcoat it and pretend I've always liked him in these films but he definitely shone brightest out the three of them at bits he's he's not alone in that I actually think that Willem Dafoe gives a better performance in this than he gives in Spider-Man 1 do you know that's an interesting point when I was researching this I was looking at other critics of the Raimi trilogy to see what they had to say. And one of the critiques someone brought up was the fact that Willem Dafoe is a very expressive actor. He's absolutely fantastic, but the majority of the first Spider-Man film was hiding his expressive face behind his big goblin mask. Mm -hmm. And you know, bar the end where you can see his teeth and his eyes and everything, you don't really get to see that. Whereas in this one, you see him slowly descend into madness, especially the condo fight where Peter's just laying into him and punching his face and he's just smiling and laughing away. Very Joker-esque in a movie reference there but it's just absolutely fantastic. He does a great job and yeah, no, I completely agree. He does give such a great performance in this one. <laughs> God, I can't believe I'm saying this. Bursting into feasts going, finish it! Which, you don't really get any scenes like that anymore in superhero films, but God, can you imagine that? Of all the references they put in, can you imagine they slipped that in? I was pretty torn on some of the little references. You made the uh, I'm something of a scientist myself joke, and it was such an inside, hey, guess what, kids? It's the meme. I gave it a chuckle when I first saw it. The second time watching it, I kind of was like, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit more. I was like, oh, I wish they hadn't done that. It's like, though, if I'm talking to you, and then I make a reference to like a very forgettable conversation we had like years ago and then you're like why is that your catchphrase now and I'm like oh no don't you remember when I said that ha ha and you you would you would rightfully be like what the Shawshank DVD yeah uh... <laughs> 
story just told as your catchphrase. <laughs> I'm something of a Shawshank Redemption watcher myself. Yes, please watch previous Chatsunami episodes to get the reference. Only true Chatsunami heads will know that will know that reference. It's the CCU, the Chatsunami Cinematic Universe. Overall, I, I just I feel as if the other villains don't really have much to do other than be in the poster. You know, it's like, I know why they chose the Sandman, because Venom's not really a thing. They didn't really want to bring him in. They couldn't bring the Green Goblin back, because technically he's dead, so... Because James Franco's cancelled. And James Franco's cancelled. That was another point I was about to bring up, but yeah, I feel as if that was a big point. Yeah, so you've got the Sandman that doesn't really fit in terms of narrative, but at the same time, you've still got... I I think they probably brought him in, A, because he's probably the only one left out the list, but B, as well, because of the spectacle. It's like, when you see the Sandman, you think, holy shit, it's the Sandman versus Spider-Man and everything. You don't really think about it very much. You think, oh, right, okay, and the lizard, obviously there was only one villain in that film, but they all kind of feel like they're just there, and especially with the lizard being stuck in a van at one point, because they just didn't want to animate him. They were just like, oh yeah, Dr. Connors wants to stay inside the van, and it's like, why? Why bother bringing them in? I don't know, like, it's not as bad as the way they handled it in Spider-Man 3, or The Amazing Spider-Man 2, but it does feel as if too many villains poison the broth, I suppose, that's the right term. I don't know, it just, it seems quite superfluous, as it were. The superfluous Spider-Man, if you will. Yeah, and superfluous. <laughs> Very catchy. <laughs> Thank you, I'm proud of that one. Overall, though, bringing it together, you see, compared to the other films that we talked about because obviously we've talked about the Raimi era we've talked about the Mark Webb films we've talked about the Mark Webb films as well how would you rate this out of the three of them where would this stand in your rankings I would put these three films at the top I think that overall they stand the test of time I mean I say the test of time one of them just only came out a couple of years ago but having watched all three recently and there may be a level of recency bias to this and there's certainly a bias on the level of I'm a sucker for collaborations and references and nostalgia I think that the newest three are the best three I think I would rank it right now Tom Holland Spider-Man trilogy Tom McGuire Spider-Man trilogy and then the two Andrew Garfield films I think the Andrew Garfield films are actually closer to the Tom McGuire ones than many people would give them but I would still say that the Tom McGuire ones are better. I do feel as if when Spider-Man fans get together they're very territorial on what Spider-Man is their iteration about like Doctor Who fans or James Bond fans even where they have that one particular actor they grew up with that one particular iteration and for a lot of younger audiences that is of course going to be Tom Holland's Spider-Man but at the same time, you know, obviously you and I, we've got fond memories of the Sam Raimi trilogy and by a lesser extension, I suppose, the Amazing Spider-Man films. But what I do appreciate overall is that each actor in each iteration brings something different. And it's amazing to see it based on the landscape of superhero films as a whole, whether it's, as we say, back in the not so prominent 2000s to the 2010s and then, of course, to the late 2010s with the MCU iterations. But obviously these films aren't perfect. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that, oh, because these are the best, they have to be held on a pedestal, we can't touch them. And of course, it's something you've brought up as well. There is that kind of bias of us watching it thinking, oh yeah, we're going to really enjoy this. As I said, there's some really glaring plot holes, and this is me maybe nitpicking. We could obviously spend a whole episode dissecting these films apart 
Mark. And we will. <laughs> we will. Oh, we will, don't you? <laughs> One day we will, don't you worry. You've got the whole why didn't Doctor Strange make the world forget what Mysterio said rather than making them forget Peter Parker. You know, obviously I think that's a slight nod to, ironically enough, one of the worst received Spider-Man comic storylines. I think it's called One More Day, where Peter, I think, has to make a deal with the devil. It's comics, bear with me here, but he has to make like a deal with Mephisto. I don't know if he's the devil or not, but anyway, he makes a deal with him and in exchange for saving, I think it's Aunt May, he gets forgotten by everyone, including Mary Jane. So it's kind of weird how they took a story that nobody really liked and they were like, oh yeah, we're just going to put it in this film. So the premise itself is very shaky at best, but if you don't think about it too much, which I do hate saying that, like, oh, it's a popcorn flick, just turn off your brain. I don't really like recommending that, but at the end of the day, if it is a Marvel film, not every single film has to be like the Shawshank Redemption or Citizen Kane or, you know, it doesn't have to be like this deep philosophical challenge of the mind. I'm going to piss off a lot of Martin Scorsese fans here, but, you know, does it always have to be this very intellectual tour de force, as it were? Obviously, there's the argument there, which would fill a whole other episode. But at the end of the day, for what they are, these Spider-Man films, I do think, hold up. And I do think all three of them are very much a time capsule of the time they came from. As I said before, you know, that's apparent for the Tobey Maguire ones, the Andrew Garfield ones. And I have to admit, although it's nostalgia talking, and obviously everybody was half expecting all three of the actors to come in and play the part. I really enjoyed it. After that, I was kind of waiting there like a impatient child. I was like, when are we going to get to the other Spider-Man? <laughs> Because I actually wasn't sure when they were going to introduce them or how they were going to introduce them. But as you said, the scenes between Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire, I did like them. I thought they were very fun and it allowed them to get some kind of closure. For example, Andrew Garfield saying that his character became a lot more vengeful and hateful, which is kind of weird because you think he would have more of like a cynical attitude compared to when Zendaya throws bread at his face and he's like, I have the tingle just not for bread kind of thing. And I was like, okay, it's, like, it's obviously it's more comedic, but... I did enjoy the use of Tingle rather than like the spider sense. Yeah, that was quite funny. I, I think it was, a, it was a fun callback. Yeah, I do like his redemption where he manages to save MJ. I really liked that. I even got emotional at that. I thought, oh, it's weird because see, when I watched the original Amazing Spider-Man, I wasn't as emotional, even though arguably Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone were the strongest pairing out of all three iterations. But, you know, I wasn't that emotional when she died in the film and he was crying and everything but in this film it's like it kind of hits you that this is a character that's gone through loss and considering that is the key tenet of Peter Parker Peter Parker must suffer I suppose Just kind of wrapping up I just want to ask what are your thoughts on the various he has quite a few but the various suits Spidey suits that Tom Holland Spider-Man has They're all right. I mean, do you have a preference in not necessarily against Andrew Garfield and Tim McGuire's, but do you have a preference for wh- which of them is your favourite? It kind of goes back to my point about when I was saying how the MCU is more fantastical in the sense that, you know, they've got things like by Infinity War, you've got nanotechnology and, you know, they just press a button and all of a sudden, oh, their body's covered and everything. I don't know, maybe I'm like a sucker for, you know, like the Superman where they're like tearing the shirt and there's 
there's like the Superman logo under you know, like the suit mm-hmm. underneath. I like the Iron Spider, I have to say. Don't get me wrong, it's not my favourite. If I had to choose between the three, obviously between the three iterations, I would go Raimi all the time. But in terms of Tom Holland alone, I don't know. Like, I, I feel as if most of the outfits are okay. I don't know. They're all right. There's none that really stand out. I like the black and red one. I didn't like the inside out one. I thought that was stupid. And No Way Home, you know, when he gets green paint thrown over him, so he turns his suit inside out, which a whole host of questions there. Like, that would probably compromise your suit even more, but that's beside the point. Going back to the Iron Spider thing, is it right to say that this iteration of Spider-Man probably has the highest body count compared to the other two? Does he? I, don't, I can't think of... Has he, has he killed people? Yeah, because remember, well, not with his own bare hands, but remember in Infinity War where there's a joke in Homecoming where he's got a kill mode on his suit. Oh, are you talking about the aliens, like the Shatari and that kind of thing? Yeah, which again, it's like, oh, technically it doesn't count because they're aliens, but if you really think <laughs> yeah, about it's it... it's the old Hollywood rule. If there are monsters, because it doesn't count if you're killing them. <laughs> exactly, if it's robots or aliens or things in films, it's like, yeah, no, that's fine. But yeah, he's got the highest body count out of all three. Tobey Maguire, I think only has, oh, let me think, only has two, technically. He's got Eddie Brock and Venom when he throws the pumpkin bomb in between. No, because, I mean, you can technically blame Toby for the death of Guy with the star tattoo on him. He does intimidate him into falling falling out that window, so I will I will blame him for that death. Let's bump it to three, then. Andrew Garfield only has one, which, of course, is the death of Gwen Stacy. That's not his fault. <laughs> How dare you? I had to say it. I'm sorry. I might as well. I'm going to get cancelled for the other things. <laughs> I'm going all in, Andrew. I'm going all in. Yeah, no, he doesn't really have a body. Unless you count in The Amazing Spider-Man 2 when he's joking around with the rhino instead of saving people as all the cars are flying. Yeah, I also thought that he may have been responsible for many deaths in that situation. But no, Tom Holland is an intergalactic murderer. Okay, well then just again wrapping up then, what are your final thoughts? Do you think that this trilogy is worth watching? Do you think that it's a... A solid trilogy in both in Spider-Man and as an MCU trilogy? As an MCU trilogy, absolutely. I would say this is one of the more consistent iterations of Spider-Man. I would say that, again, the films are a lot more polished because obviously they've got that Marvel money coming their way, but they are really fun to look at. They have good actors in it. They have very interesting settings and things. I completely understand, though, why some people don't like these these iterations. I feel as if the reason they don't like these iterations is because they might not stand out the same compared to the other films and that is something I will say that I do technically agree with. I feel as if for these films, although they're great, you know, they're consistent, they're really well made, they are up there as some of the best Spider-Man films, I don't feel as if Spider-Man yet has his own identity because as some other people have pointed out it feels as if because he's part of this bigger universe he has to interact with other people like Doctor Strange and Iron Man and all of these people and it makes sense in the universe like I'm not saying he should have had his own independent adventure at that time but what I will say is it almost feels as if he's not able to breathe on his own like he's sandwiched in between other characters that are clearly better 
at what they do. You know, like Doctor Strange is very adept in the magical arts. You've got Iron Man, who's very adept in technology and everything. And it makes sense for Peter at this stage of his life that he has to look at these other superheroes and he has to think, oh, well, I want to aspire to be like these characters someday. But at the same time, I feel as if in terms of a Spider-Man, see if we're looking at this solely as a Spider-Man series, like Spider-Man films, I don't feel it's as strong at times. I feel as if it's let down in a lot of areas, which isn't obviously to detract from the overall experience. But the thing is, going into any Marvel movie, you have to have the booklet of what went on, you know, what Disney Plus shows been going on, what films you missed. I mean, you could probably start from Homecoming, but you can watch Homecoming and then watch Far From Home. Because you'd be, I mean, don't get me wrong, you still can't technically, but you'd be thoroughly confused. One movie in Homecoming, you've got Iron Man standing there and then No Way Home, it's like, oh, he's dead. Although I have to admit, here's a funny side story here, but I remember I was watching the trailer for Far From Home and I always remember they had like this big spoiler warning at the very beginning. They said, oh, just a heads up, if you haven't seen Endgame, there's spoilers for this in this trailer. And I was like, ah, sure, there'll be a couple, but I'm sure, you know, it'll be later on in the trailer. So I let it run for two seconds and literally the first scene of that trailer was, everywhere I go, I still see him. And it's just the big mural of Tony Stark. And I'm like, huh, so Iron Man's dead then. (laughs) I was like, oh, interesting. But yeah, going back to my point, it's more of a Marvel issue than a Spider-Man issue, but I feel as if alone this isn't that great of a Spider-Man iteration, but as part of the MCU it's fantastically done but sorry I'm going to flip it back on to you what are your thoughts yeah no I can understand again we've kind of covered a lot of that I understand uh, a lot of the criticisms for it that it feels like he has kind of a crutch of the rest of the MCU he's leaning on but I think that it deals with that very well I don't think it overly exhausts the MCU I think that the way they deal with kind of his responsibility of taking over the mantle of Iron Man is done well I think that struggle initially and kind of comes into his own by the end of Far From Home where you kind of have that very sweet scene where Happy kind of watches him become very Tony Stark kind of developing his own spider suit at the back of the plane and he puts on the ACDC and kind of has a little tearjerker moment of him being the new Tony Stark yeah that's kind of it I think that the films deal with this growth of Peter Parker into Spider-Man in a much more gradual but effective way and I'm very excited to see what comes next I think there's supposed to be there's supposed to be some sort of animated TV show I think which I believe takes place prior to Spider-Man Homecoming I think we get to kind of see Peter Parker before then and not rather than what happened post No Way Home so I'm quite excited to, to see what happens there please let us know what you think you can reach Chatsunami through Twitter you can reach myself GreenShield95 through Twitter or you can also contact us through the pod page yeah of course if you want to get in contact and let us know your thoughts on the Tom Holland run then you can contact us at podpage.com forward slash chatsunami so of course next week we are joined by friend of the show Craigie C to dive into the weird and more I was going to say wonderful but no it's just weird (laughs) world of the weird the weird and weeby world exactly the weird and weeby world of Japanese Spider-Man and then the week after that Andrew you're of course returning to take on a very special Spider-Man trivia episode, which I think this might actually be the very first trivia episode you and I have done together. Yeah, I think you're right. I love trivia, so I'm very excited for that episode. I'm actually excited to see how well you do, because when I did it for Terminator Month, I was terrible. (laughs) 
looking the boy. It was really bad. And Adam surprisingly did well on the Sonic one, so we'll see how you get on when we come back. But until then, thank you all so, so much for listening to this episode. And as always, stay safe, stay awesome, and most importantly, stay hydrated. <laughs>